Welcome to the Modern Investing with Side Pocket podcast, where we find some of the brightest minds in investing, entrepreneurship, real estate, tech, and more, and ask them, how do you stay financially ahead of the curve in the dynamic world we live in? But before we start, a quick disclaimer, the content we are discussing through this channel should not be understood or construed as financial advice. Regardless of anything to the contrary, nothing available on or through this channel should be understood as a recommendation to buy or sell securities or constitute financial advice. With that out the way, let's get started. So today we have Nate Bailey, a U.S. Army veteran who was deployed as a platoon leader to Kuwait in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom. Today, he helps business leaders become championship leaders as a podcast host, a speaker, author, coach, and consultant. Nate, I want to thank you for your service, and it's great to have you on our show today. Thank you. I appreciate it, and excited to be here. Definitely. So you're the first person I've ever met that's run 100 miles. <laughs> that's an incredible feat, and like in your book, you do give credit to having a 100-mile mindset. I thought it'd be great to start there. And could you share with like, how did you get to even decide to run the Kettle 100? And, and what's that background story there? Yeah, you bet. I was, I had actually completed in 2016, I completed this event called Seal Fit Kokoro, which was a 52 hour event straight through led by Navy SEALs. And it was pretty intense. And, and then after that, I saw how, after I finished this huge experience and really did a lot of work to get prepared for it, to set myself up to succeed. Without another big challenge in front of me, I started slowly slipping back to who I was before that. I think that's where the 100 mile thing came in because I had heard of people doing 100 mile runs and it was just like, I couldn't almost comprehend it. I was like, that's crazy. People actually do that. And so I don't know, at some point, Along that journey, I was like, I wonder if I could do it. So I signed up for the Kettle 100, like you just said. And I actually just, that was back in 2018, March of 2018, I decided to sign up for that race. But just two weekends ago, I just finished my fourth 100 mile race in Daytona. So I literally am just barely a week out of uh, my last 100 mile race right now. I couldn't tell just by looking at you. You look great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It definitely takes a, a toll on the body for sure for a couple of weeks after. But, you know, the, like you said, the mindset that you get from doing something like that and just the life experiences and the lessons that I learn and <clears throat> just who it requires me to show up as every day. That's why I keep doing it. I, I will say that every time I'm running a hundred miles in the middle of it, I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? Like, why am I doing this? Cause it's not the most enjoyable thing while you're doing it. But every time afterwards, I'm like, ah, I could probably do that again. How quickly you forget how miserable it, it was while you're doing it. Now, do you get that? Like at mile 10, mile 20, when does it really start kicking in? Yeah, sometimes it's early. Typically it's probably... I don't know, more towards the middle of it. Cause it's a long time, especially for me. There's some people, I'm not an elite runner. I'm out there just to really see if I can finish. Yeah. And so I'm taking a good close to 30 hours to finish. And you only have typically 30 to 31 hours to finish. Otherwise it doesn't count. So I'm usually taking up most of that time. So yeah, a third of the way into midway, not so much when you're like, 
got 20 miles to go because at that point you feel like you're going to make it and you just got to but you still got to slug through those last 20 miles but yeah somewhere in the middle is to answer that question yeah got you and then you're like for your first time did you when you decided to run the kettle 100 for your first time did you enlist a coach did you get any kind of support you just wing it yourself no i definitely i did have a coach that had done a lot of different endurance endurance stuff and had done some hundred milers. So I absolutely went out and, and found I'm a coach myself. And so I, I know the importance of having someone that's been there and done that to help you to get through it. And, and then I had a support crew with me and listen to books or podcasts of other people that have done it too. I just think there's, it's, there's, it's so important to try and learn from others that have been there before you to help you along the way. And then you, at some point, you just got to go do it. And there's some things that you just can't learn until you go through it yourself. And if you read through the book, I failed at the Kettle 100. And then I failed at my second one at the Burning River 100 uh, before I was successful. You just, some things you got to learn on your own, which I did. Let's see, that's, uh, that's a great, it's a, life is the same way, right? It's the same exact way. There's just cer certain things like as a parent, you got young kids and you want to be able to protect them and set them up for success and give them all the, like the keys to the answer book. And, uh, but there's just some things you, you got to let your parent, your kids learn on their own that life just has to teach them themselves that they have to experience and can be tough for parents to to realize that and to let your kids go through some of that stuff. So it's the same thing in, in these races and in business and investing and whatever it is. Well, you mentioned that when you, in the beginning, you were, you said you were slipping back to who you were and then you realized, like, I guess you didn't have anything that was causing you to show up powerfully. Um, could you talk about that a little bit and what happened there? You felt like you were a little slug and then, and then you decided to really change that out. Yeah, for a good six months leading into that event called Seal Fit Kokoro, my life, I wasn't necessarily, my whole life wasn't consumed with it, but my the physical preparation and I lost about 45 pounds in that process. And it really, what I found was the dedication, the commitment, the discipline that I was putting towards getting prepared for that event forced me to really raise the level of my life in the other areas as well. But then, so I get through this experience, I finished, there's 28 of us that showed up and only nine of us finished, right? Big accomplishment. And I don't know, I think it's natural for you to want to celebrate and enjoy it, which you should absolutely. Anytime you accomplish something big. And then sometimes you get, you slip into just living off those past victories and you see a lot of people in life that do that. And it doesn't serve you moving forward to just you, there was a, one of the coaches there after finishing was like, we finished it's an incredible moment. And then there's all this equipment and gear and stuff that needed to be picked up and put away in a storage locker. And he's like, Hey, you guys aren't finished yet. You're only as good as your last minute. We got work to do. And it, I just remember him saying that. And I just remember thinking, are you serious? We just finished this awesome deal. And, but it was like, I've, I'll remember that to this day. And it's, like it or not, it's, it is definitely true. You can, I think it's great to lean on past victories and failures to help you moving forward, but not to rest on them. You can lean on them, but don't rest on them. And, uh, and yeah, that's doesn't, you know, you always need something to look forward to, to continue to move towards. 
And uh, so, yeah, I just found myself slipping back really easy because I was resting on the accomplishment that I had. And then before you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, shoot, I, I gained half that weight back. What happened here? What's going on? So it's always important to have goals and outcomes uh, to help give you some purpose moving forward. So, so do you see yourself running hundreds just till the till you go till you're out? That's, yeah, that's a good question. I keep asking myself that question too. Like, how long am I going to keep? I don't know that I'll always be running a hundred milers. And I even have some friends, like one that asked me right before that this race a couple weekends ago. He's like, "All right, so you got this one." And then part of the reason I did this one at the end of the 2022 is so that I could qualify to be able to apply for what's called the Badwater 135. So. I don't know if you've ever heard of David Goggins, um, but he's a pretty popular guy nowadays in the kind of the the mindset, mental toughness. He was a former Navy SEAL and he's done all kinds of crazy stuff. He's got a book called Can't Hurt Me. And then he just wrote another one called Never Finished. And But anyways, a big part of his story is him doing Badwater 135. So it's you start 280 feet below sea level. You run through Death Valley in the middle of July. And then you finish up at one of the peaks of Mount Whitney. So you go from 280 feet below sea level to 8,300 above. And it's 135 miles. They say it's the world's toughest endurance event. And they only allow 100 runners a year. So always been a bucket list of mine to see if I, again, like Kokoro was, to see if I have what it takes to do that. And there's certain requirements you have to have in order to just apply for it. So that was one of the ones Daytona, but yeah, so my friends asked me, so you got this one, then hopefully you get into bad water. Then he's what next? Do you run, are you going to run 200 miles or he's like in his head, why like asking the same question? I'm like, I don't know. I probably will though. Yeah. Unless something else, but there will always be something. It might not always be a hundred miles, but there will always be something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just saw like a documentary about a race in the Sahara. I don't know if you yeah. know uh, people die in that one too. Is that yeah. I think I, I I might know which one you're talking about. I got a she was a coach of mine, Lisa Smith Batchins. She she's an ultra runner and she won that at like 2016. I think she was the first female to win that. And I think she's going back to go run it this year. So wow. yeah. And yeah, I've seen that documentary too. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, and then till today, like outside of running, you're out there creating championship leaders. How did you come up with that term and what's the background there? Yeah, it's interesting. Again, I was working with a different coach of mine, Joe Williams. He was, he was one of Tony Robbins lead trainers for close to 20 years. And so we were, I was looking to start a podcast. We we're trying to think of names and definitely wanted it to be around leadership and he was like, what about championship leadership? And at first I didn't really like, I, it just sounded weird, right? Same here, yeah. When I yeah. read it, I was like, yeah. what? hold on. <laughs> yeah. So at first I was like, I don't know if I like that, but then I was like, ah, but I do. And so, yeah, at first it was kind of like, I don't know, but that's grown on me, I guess you could say. And uh, yeah, so a good friend of mine, Joe, shout out to him. He was the one that came up with the name and it's just, so there's leadership and then there's championship leadership. And I think we all, if you're a leader, you don't want to just be an average, like middle of the road leader. You want to be a championship leader, right? That's all our goal. And I think it's a level that it's not a level that just one person can attain. Like we all can, we can all strive for that. So yeah, that's where that came from. Gotcha. And that was like four and a half years ago now. So we've been going strong for a good, uh, good four and a half years with that. Got it. And how do you like define uh, the championship? What's the formula there? 
Yeah, that's the very first question I ask all my guests. And it's awesome because I don't think I've ever gotten the same answer. I'm like, hey, championship leadership is the name of the podcast. What what comes to mind for you or what does that mean? And I always get a different answer. So it's always awesome. And then a handful of times, the guests have turned it around on me. And I'm interested to hear what how you define championship leadership. And for me, I've always... Uh, I think championship leadership is the ability to get more out of an individual than they would on their own. So that's a big part of championship leadership, like extracting more out of someone for the greater good than they would out on their own. And then another big piece I, I think is leadership is this burden that we all this willingly accept and carry as leaders because there's a lot of responsibility. And so it's when the, in, in the great times, it's having the ability to shine a light on those inside of the team, the organization that helped you to have those great times and to, because there's always plenty of accolades to go around. And so it's just really recognizing that it wasn't you that got the team or organization there. And then in tough times when things aren't going right, or if it were in sports or whatever, and you lose a big game, it's taking the ownership and the responsibility as the leader. So it's a lonely championship leadership can be lonely and it's very selfless. You know that going in and you willingly take that on. Got it. And, and how do you, how does that, I guess you brought up parenting earlier. And I think that's something that that really hits home when you have your own kid. I, I don't have any kids myself, but like mm-hmm. my sister, I'm an uncle now for yeah. real. Not just like my friend's kids, but like my yeah. own blood. Right. You start, hey, you got to take care of this person. And it just comes on you. Like you have kids yourself? Yeah, yeah. No, I have three. I have a ninth grader, a seventh grader, and a fourth grader. So they're four. And there's a couple of them that are about to have some birthdays, but 14, 12, and 10 right now. Yeah, I'm definitely in the middle of it for sure. But it also, it goes so fast, man. It goes, just flies by. Yeah, they, they grow for sure. Yeah. And that's uh, how it's supposed to be. That's life. Definitely. And as far as how do you see yourself, like in kind of everything that you got going on, you're an author, you're a podcast host, you're an entrepreneur, you numerous businesses. As a championship leader, is there like a, a key, like in the zone mindset that you can get yourself set up on where you're able to handle everything? And, and kind of power yourself up? Yeah, I, th- I think it really comes down to just being super intentional in your days, right? So I guess you could daily routines, rituals, habits. And again, coming back to being super intentional because when you have a lot of things going on, it can be easy to get lost in, in the fray of things if you're not if you're not intentional on what you're doing in your day and planning it out and and doing the things that give you energy and power to to be able to make it through those days and uh, still have time for everybody else that's yeah. we say is most important to us which is typically our family because you typically they're at school or your wife is at work all day and you don't really see them until the end of the day so you've been chopping away and you've been pushing hard in your business and giving everything you got there and then uh tendency for can be for people to get home and uh give those they love the most, they're scraps, right? How can I show up, give everything I can during the day and then do the same when I get home at night? And again, I think that comes from you actually being really intentional in all of those areas and and creating a, a daily life routine and habits 
that allow you to do that, whether that's meditation, working out, making sure that you're mapping out and planning your day, setting priorities, setting your non-negotiables. And, and really that looks a little bit different for everyone. And the only way you figure that out is through trial and error and, and testing. And again, I think I keep saying it, but it always comes back to just being super intentional about what it is that's important to you and what you want. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, how about this is an investing podcast. Um, yeah. What it's always about the human behind everything, right? I think everything kind of ties into the goal setting, commitment, showing up, confidence, leadership, even in investing. How are you as an investor and what's your approach there? Do you, are you in stocks? Do you value invest? Do you do any trading? What, how are you uh, engaged there in managing? Uh, yeah, absolutely. The majority of my investing has been through real estate and kind of continues to be. And I guess it's really just like anything because it's, what I know the most, right? What I'm most comfortable with. But I remember there was years when I would think about getting into real real estate investing and I never pulled the trigger because I was afraid like of the unknown, like totally was scared. Like what if this doesn't work? And it was before I really did a, jumped in and did a lot of work on myself and started creating the 100 mile mindset and all of that. And then I have some really good friends and clients that are big into like our and successful day traders, right? And one of my good friends is, I'll give him a little shout out. His name's Jeremy Newsom. And he's created a, a bunch of education courses to help people to day trade. And he gives it almost all of it away for free, actually. And, uh, and then stock market, a little bit here and there, but again, not a ton, although I'm starting to do more and more of that as I get a little bit older here. But yeah, I totally... What keeps anyone from doing that is the unknown, right? Like from really jumping all in. And the only way you get get yourself to be to be comfortable is to jump in, right? It's like the 100 mile race. I, I didn't know anything. I didn't know how it was going to go. I didn't know what I didn't know. I just knew that I wanted to see if I could do it. And so I jumped in feet first and got punched in the face a few times. And, but had some successes as well. And I had to reset myself and learn from that experience and then continue to move forward and continue to go and educate, surround myself with people that have that experience. Again, on the investing side of things, like a guy like Jeremy, that's had a lot of success and has done that same thing and gone through that process himself. So yeah, it's been a little bit of my experience on the investing side of things. Got you. And so what's been your journey as a real estate investor? Like what was the first transaction that you approached? And then what strategy have you figured out that works well for you that you're feeling pretty confident in now? Yeah, that's because again, there's so many ways to do real estate investing. The first one, it was a, a good friend of mine. He was a realtor and it was back in 2009 when there's a, a lot of foreclosures out there. And there was this house for, I believe we bought it for $35,000. It was like a story and a half, three bedrooms. And so we bought, that was the first one. And that's the one that like got me in. And then shortly after that, then now all of the fear and everything went away because I got in and I realized, all right, Hey, I'm here. And my world hasn't exploded. Like, yeah. all right, I, this is cool. And so I would say within six months, I bought four or five other properties quickly after that. And so by me stepping into that fear and jumping in, opened the doors to that world and what was possible. And like I said, shortly after, and for me, for the most part, 
I, my investing in real estate has been more for a long-term play. I've done some flips and I've looked at a few syndications, haven't gone that route yet. Uh, but most of mine have been long-term holds or I'll hold for a couple of years and then sell and take the profits from that and roll into the top. 1035 exchange and 1030 exchange and buy another one, buy something a little bit bigger. So trying to build up the monthly cash flow as well as the equity and, and set myself up for retirement. Got it. And when you blew up after your first property, you're like, oh, I'm swimming. Yeah. You're like, and when I had bought six more, did you partner with a bank or an investor? Was it all your cash? Did you leverage the property you had as collateral? Like how did you make that happen? Yeah, for the most, I've leveraged the properties I had, right? Uh, pulled some equity from those to buy others. We just bought a couple where we just used our own money and and a couple of times where I've used leveraged money from outside lenders to or investors to buy some properties and pick some properties up that way as well. But I have a really good relationship with the bank. It's a small town bank and which with that good relationship with the small town bank in-house you create that relationship and means it, it really does mean a lot and you can yeah, they go to bat for you the longer you've been with them and the more they get to know you and your situation more so than some other bank that's maybe a little bit bigger or doesn't know who the heck you are doesn't have that relationship it is just going to look at the black and white numbers and say yes or no yeah i've had a really good relationship with a, a small town bank that's that's helped me along that way too and are you working with any like mentors or coaches on the real estate side that are like how you do with the hundred mile race? Yeah, I would say directly, not so much, but I've had a number of them come through my programs. And so I ha now have a, a relationship with them. So I'm not technically paying them, but, but I do learn a ton from them. And I have a number of those people in my life, right? Uh, so not that I'm not opposed to it because I definitely invest quite a bit in myself and coaches and things like that. But currently, yeah, I'm not, I don't, not paying anyone, but I definitely have some, and they are coaches and they do have their own programs and, and people are investing into them consistently. But yeah, so I'm definitely surrounding myself with others that are probably, that are playing the game at a bigger level than I am currently. Got it. And that's how we grow. For yeah, sure. Absolutely. As far as, so you're pretty focused on real estate. Are you dabbling in any other types of investments or you really want to gain a footing and grow on what you've already created on in real estate? I am pretty invested in real estate for sure. But at the same time, I'm starting to go through some of those courses for the day trading because that is something that, that really does intrigue me. And it's something that, again, I just, it's just like jumping into that first deal for me in real estate. I just don't know a lot about it. And so I don't, it's, and so it's just takes learning it from others that have been there. And so that's what I'm doing with that, going through his courses, because it's something that I would have a goal for 2023 to, to be more involved with and to start to actually do some day trading. And then also on the stock side of things right now, I'm just, I'm playing it pretty safe and just investing into again more long-term like companies that i believe in and that, that i use a lot using that mentality on the stock side of things mm -hmm. but i also obviously want to get uh, connected with side pocket and what you guys are doing and again that's in my mind you know, when you can have a team of people that really know what the heck they're doing and you can and you trust them and you believe in them that's it's just why wouldn't you lean on that knowledge that expertise that wisdom to to help you to benefit you. Yeah. 
I think you'll find a lot about like, the stock market. It's a lot very similar to what you're doing already in real estate assets, trying to get a good deal on them and have a strategy to get out at a certain price or a certain type of timeline. And I'm sure you'll find it's just a matter of reading the information and kind of understanding how that's delivered. It's a different language. Yeah. If you figured out real estate, I'm sure stock market would be an easy thing. The cool thing about stocks is that you don't have to talk to anybody. <laughs> yeah, right. You don't have to drive anywhere. You don't have to collect rent. You don't have to fix a roof. Toilet. Yeah, <laughs> I did a little stint selling roofs for a little bit. And I'm like, hold on. Like, oh, today's technology. Why am I like risking my life climbing roofs? Yeah. Yeah. One time I went on a, on a client's roof and I'm like measuring it out and I yeah. know the wind blows down my ladder and I'm like stuck there for half an hour. I'm trying oh, to- no. Oh no. Oh man. <laughs> but I can't do this anymore. Yeah. That's enough of that, right? Yeah. No, I'm done. <laughs> but that's the thing. And then as far as investing in companies that like, just like how you value properties, so you really you look at it and you figure out, all right, what, what's a good deal for me here? When's a good time to buy? You have what it's actually worth and then what the market thinks it's worth. Yeah. And then making a decision that way. What we do like on side pocket end is really just automate all that decision-making for people where, you know, yes. we already got these formulas that we have set and we're always optimizing and tweaking them and really just about good solid long-term strategy, like nothing, no, yeah. no caps or small caps, like yeah. stocks, nothing like that. And it was just a once a month adjusting your exposure to different things and making sure that yeah. Hey, you know what, if it, cause the thing is, it's all about drawdown protection, investing like you would in a, in a property that all of a sudden loses a ton of value. And you're like, no, it's a good location. It's a good spot, yeah. but you're trying to retire this year. Yeah. You, you can't pull cash out of it. So you're done. And if, uh, and it's so like a lot of people, like we, we don't know that the stock market crashed until after we get off work. And then yeah. which is too late to do anything with every like 2009, the pandemic this year with the Ukraine war. Like yeah. if, you're, if you're actively professionally and you're watching, you're in the game months ahead of time that things are yeah. about to drop. Sure. You're able to make these adjustments. And, and that's yeah. where there's the whole thing. Like you met with Daniel in the last uh, podcast and he's a good friend of mine only for about five, six years now. And they've been doing all kinds of business together. And of course, he's a trader and everything. Yeah. And the pandemic, like I jumped on the bandwagon, Robin Hood, starting to try to manage my money. Yeah. And Daniel's just sending me signals. I'm like, you know, give me some tips. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in sales. I'm talking to people. And he's yeah. sending me tips. He's, did you execute that trade? I'm like, no, I did. No. I didn't have time. I'm like, can I just give you my money so you can do this for me? Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. Like, you know, give, give me a year. And then he approached me with a side pocket. I'm like, let's go. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. That's why I mean, yeah. I mean, it's a no brainer for me, like to something like side pocket where, especially for those like myself that I don't really know anything, why would you not? Makes sense. Totally. Yeah. Man, I really, really appreciate you having you on the podcast and they really awesome meeting you and we'll, we'll definitely keep in touch. Yeah, absolutely. And, thanks uh, for having me. Yeah. Nate, thanks again, man. It was uh, awesome. We'll keep in touch. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Cheers, man. This podcast is sponsored by SidePocket, the only automated robo-advisor on the market that combines multiple tactical asset allocation investment strategies to generate returns. If you don't have the time to professionally trade and you're tired of being at the whim of the market's ups and downs, consider using SidePocket to automate your investing. SidePocket monitors the markets and automatically rebalances your holdings each month for you to maximize returns while protecting against losses. Losses are not a one-to-one -one relationship. 
When you lose 50% of your portfolio in a bad quarter, it requires 100% return the next just to break even. That's why SidePocket applies sophisticated quantitative methods, including tactical asset allocation, to systematically minimize these drawdowns and consistently protect and grow your hard-earned savings. To learn more, visit SidePocket.com.